Hey, what's happening? Welcome to the Influential Communicator, the go-to podcast for your weekly dose of storytelling, speaking, and communication bullets to help you craft stories that sell and deliver presentations that win. I'm your host, Ravi Rajani. So without further wait, let's get into it. When I think of an influential communicator, I think of Rajiv Nathan, a.k.a. the Fresh Prince of Sass. Now, listen, from growing up on hip hop, being obsessed with the showmanship and the flair of WWE as a kid and being a rapper since the age of 14, Rajiv realized this one thing that in business and in life, everything is story. In today's company, Start Hype Man helps startups and scale ups not suck at how they pitch themselves. So they can really stand out to their audience and stand apart from the competition, especially using his signature K-Passa pitch method. And today, ladies and gents, I pinned the Fresh Prince down himself so we can extract his golden nuggets on one very specific topic, how to deliver sales demos that don't suck. Dude, what's good? Welcome to the show. I think you are officially my hype man now. So thank you. Thank you for the the impact and the emphasis in that introduction. It's got to be done, bro. You know, if I'm talking to the start hype man, I've got I to bring the heat. Otherwise, it's, it's no good, man. Now, I spoke to you about this when we connected earlier this month. And I said, dude, you do a mean Obama impression. And you're like, all right, I'll do it. So uh, we, we need to hear it. The audience needs to hear your amazing Obama impression. So let's give you a let's give you a top. Are you open to doing it, by the way? You cool? Let's go for it. Yeah. All right. All right. So let's talk about the big problem with sales pitches in 2022. I'm not going to uh, to sit here and let uh, millions of uh, Americans, millions of uh, citizens around the globe, uh, all in the, the, the sales profession, uh, go out and uh, give demos that, uh, quite frankly, uh, just just uh, do not, as they like to say, uh, cut the 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 uh, the mustard. <laughs> Thank you. God bless and God bless the United States of America. <laughs> Dude, that was so good. Where did you learn that? Like, how long have you been mastering that specific craft? I live in Chicago and I went to college in Chicago and Obama is from Chicago. And during his presidency, I think it was his first term, yeah, he was making a Chicago visit. And there was this whole like, uh, you know, like convoy that blocks off the roads when the president comes to visit. But at the same time, there was some like baseball game that was going on. And we were all joking, like my roommates and I were joking that the reason he was coming into town was to go to this baseball game, (laughs) even though it was like inconsequential. It wasn't even anything that was like, you know, of note. And so I, we just started as like jokingly as like roommates, we just started like being like, like doing like an Obama impression and being like, now look, I'm not going to be late for this baseball game. <laughs> like, and that was like him, like yelling at his assistants and just, it just so happened that I happened to be the one in the group who, who was like, Hey, you can actually kind of do that voice. <laughs> Dude, it was that's, very, that's very from. good. <laughs> it was so good. It was scarily good, man. It's amazing. And you know what? I I believe, take politics aside for a second, Obama is just a world-class communicator. Is there one thing that you've learned from him that you now implement in your day-to-day job? Ooh, good question. Um, I think he had a very 
uncanny ability to um, capture the attention of an audience, which mm. is interesting because, and, and obviously I exaggerated a ton in the impression because he does have a decent amount of like stuttering in the way he talks, right? Like there's a lot of that, like, uh, like as, he, as he's talking, but it's almost like he's got a certain amount of charm to him that you like, you're waiting for what's going to be on the other side of that. Uh, so I don't know if there's like a specific like tactic. I just know that uh, I think he's got a certain way of charming an audience and being able to magnetize to where you really do want to listen. And I think part of that comes in, my opinion anyway, is that you really do believe him when he's talking. Plenty of Americans who don't agree with that at all. And they're like, oh, he was a con artist, right? But my take when listening to him and watching him talk is that I actually think he believes what he's saying. Whereas I think a lot of politicians, you can kind of feel like, oh, their speechwriter wrote this. And they're just kind of reciting something that was written for them. Yeah, man. He really embodies his words. Like you can see that he actually feels what he's saying. And that's definitely rare, dude. That's definitely rare. And speaking of people who are great communicators and people who you look up to in the world of, I suppose, influence, but doing big things in the storytelling space, speaking space, all that good stuff. I know you're a big fan of The Rock, just like yeah. me, right? Because from back in the day when you of the WWE, I'm assuming that's where it all began for you. I mean, what have you learned from people like The Rock and others who you looked up to, even in the hip hop world at a younger age, when it comes to pitching and storytelling? What have you learned from those yeah. individuals? Well, I should clarify that it wasn't just back in the day that I watched WWE. I still do. And in fact, so, the other okay, weekend, gotcha. I held a WrestleMania party with my friends. <laughs> That's a, I love that, bro. I love that. And dude, you're announcing a wrestling or a boxing match soon? Uh, MMA, right? yeah. MMA. Yeah, MMA, dude, that's Describe sick. Fiction. That's so cool, um, man. That's, so that's cool. been cool to get into that realm as well to do professional ring announcing. So from people like The Rock, again, another person who just very, very good at being able to capture an audience, um, understanding, and a lot of that was understanding where do you pause? Where do you speed up? Where do you slow down, right? Even like some of the, the physical expressions he would make, like the eyebrow, right? He somehow got an eyebrow over with thousands of people every, every night of the week. <laughs> and it's just him raising his eyebrow. <laughs> like, how do, how do you get that over? And it's, well, you add a little drama to it. Like, you, you know, you, you tilt your head down and then you turn to the side and then the camera zooms in and then you pause and then you raise the eyebrow, right? It's something that you make people wait for it almost, which is just so interesting. And I think the other thing too, from like the hip hop realm, there's a Jay-Z lyric I like to reference a lot, uh, especially when I do pitch workshops. And he said uh, almost 20 years ago now, which is kind of crazy. It was a, his album, The Black Album, which was actually technically his retirement album. And then he just came back like six months later. <laughs> He had a song called Moment of Clarity, and he was, he was like kind of like reflecting on his success to that point. And he compared himself to a couple other, uh, at the time anyway, underground rappers, uh, Talib Kweli, who's still, I would say, semi-underground, um, and then Common, or who also went by the name Common Sense. Common's gotten into like acting and stuff, so more people may have heard of him if they're not totally familiar with hip hop. But he said, I dumbed down for my audience and doubled my dollars. If skills sold, truth be told, I'd probably be lyrically Talib Kweli. Truthfully, I want to rhyme like common sense, but I did five mil and I ain't been rhyming like common sense. So if you break down that lyric, what he's saying is, hey, I have all the capability, right? I have all the um, 
aptitude and all this stuff to be the most lyrically dense, socially conscious, like intricate rapper you've ever heard of and you've ever heard in your life. He's like, I have those tools and those capabilities. Similarly, if you think about in a sales world, right? Like all these products have a lot of features to them, if you will. They have a lot that can be said about their products. And they then there's a lot that they can possibly for a customer. So Jay-Z's like, look, there's a lot that I can do. And I considered that path and I started on that path. But then I really realized if I want to make a massive impact, right? If I want to like go global, if I want to, you know, if I want to do all these things. I had to meet my audience where they were, right? That's what I dumbed down for my audience and delved my dollars, right? So once I met my audience where they were, that's where I saw, you know, success like I had never seen before, right? I could have been like the Talib Kualis or the Commons, right? I could have gone that path, but I wanted to do bigger things. And so the second I met my audience where they were, I delved my dollars. I had 5 million sales on a single album and I never looked back after that. And, you know, in just in the last couple of years, Jay-Z became hip hop's first billionaire. And that was a conscious choice that he made to focus on his audience, which is what I think. And, and you know, especially with the work that you do as well, like, you know, audience matters, right? You've got to figure out what's the sound that your audience wants to hear. Dude, it's funny because I think that's probably one of the big problems. And you you can tell us uh, in more depth today, but it's a big problem in the world today where we don't meet our buyers at with where they're at inside of the buyer's journey. We just focus on our commission check and then end up stinking of commission breath. But dude, that's fascinating. Man, before we really dig deep into today, one thing I want to acknowledge you for is when you scrolled on LinkedIn, when I scrolled on LinkedIn, you can see a sea of sameness and then one of your videos will pop up. And because of the way you show up unapologetically you, I'm like, there's going to be something that I, I just know I'm going to come for entertainment. I know I'm going to come for some form of mastery. I also know there's going to be something educational in it. And with your rap videos on LinkedIn, there's like a wave of people who I, I can imagine look at your stuff and go, hold up. Like, being professional doesn't mean being boring. Like, the, look at look at what uh, Rajiv is doing right now, man. So I want to acknowledge you that for that, bro, because you are Thanks. doing true pattern interruptions. I see anyway with a lot of your videos, like the one with Tyler from Vidyard. I think it Vidyard. was a little while ago. Yeah. yeah, I saw that and I was like, this is dope, man. So I want to acknowledge you for that. But let's dig deep into what today's all about, bro, which is how to deliver sales demos that are memorable and just don't suck. And I know you've coached and delivered workshops to so many teams on this. And I think the best starting point would be, what is the number one mistake that reps are making when it comes to delivering demos before they've even walked in the room or pressed record on that Zoom call? I think one of the biggest challenges it's an accepted term now. So there's not really much around changing it. But like the problem starts with the fact that it's called a demo, which, and I don't know, who do we blame for that? Salesforce, Oracle? I don't know who started this however many years ago and put it on their website and everyone followed suit. And so what it has led sellers to believe is that the point of this call is to show you my product not just show it to you. The point of this call is to show you everything about my product. And then as a result, because that's the point of the call, the, the output or the function of the call then is, let me do this 40-minute guided tour 
of everything that this can do. And I'm going to show you this button and I'm going to show you that button and I'm going to scroll down to here and I'm going to show you how to set up this campaign, right? All these little things that, yeah, is it part of the product? Sure. Does it really matter in determining if that, if your person's going to buy from you or not? No, right? So much extra stuff gets added in because they're obsessed. Oh, it's a demo. So I have to demonstrate everything that this thing can do. And then, and because of that mindset, I think it cannibalizes, it sets the entire conversation off on the wrong foot. Because then what do you see is a lot of these calls have a lack of sufficient discovery. No demo matters unless you know <laughs> about their situation first. And then a lot of the calls, even if they are doing discovery, they're doing insufficient discovery or ineffective discovery where they'll ask three questions. And the, the center point of those questions is like, what do you want? Not necessarily what's your challenge. There's a clear lack of like really understanding the true problem that they have. And everything starts with really understanding the, and that's not, you know, that's not new information necessarily. I think any sales expert will tell you that. But I think the way in which you go about gathering that information is really critical because if you do the insufficient discovery and you just ask them like, oh, what are you looking for in a solution? You assume that they're like ready to buy and you have nothing to stand on after that initial conversation other than, well, you said you're looking for this. So let me keep following up with more things about what you're looking for. As opposed to if you really understand their situation, then you essentially put yourself in position where you're not just like someone selling them a product, you're actually someone guiding them through a process, right? You're guiding them through a purchase and you can actually make strategic recommendations to them. I think one of the best things you can do, and this comes from asking the right questions, telling the right story, et cetera, right? Demoing it in the right way is almost making that shift in their head where they're like, thought I was looking for X, but really what I need is like, what you've, what you've shown me is that really what I need is Y. And it's really funny you say this because I remember early on when I was starting out, there was this level of anxiety that came with not completing the demo, meaning the showing every feature that was inside of the product suite. There was this anxiety of, oh my God, we haven't shown you this part. And oh my God, we haven't shown you that when realistically it's, as you mentioned, showing them what they truly care about. And that all comes through doing effective discovery. So listen up, people, listen up. There's some good pointers there. Now, you're a man of many talents. We've heard, already heard your Obama impression today. Now, I also know that one of the things that you focus on outside of what you do inside of the business is being a yoga instructor. Now, yeah. what I'm curious to know is, do you embody any of the principles that you've learned from yoga before you get onto a discovery call or a demo, let's call it, to get your mind right? So my philosophy with the business and with any business is don't think like an entrepreneur, don't think like an executive, think like an entertainer. Because the entertainer has one goal in mind and that's make an emotional connection with their audience. So that's actually what I take into when I, you know, when I go teach a yoga class. How can I make an emotional connection with the students in this class? And then where I'm, you know, not necessarily even having to consciously think about it, but it is influencing the sales stuff and, and running the business and getting on my own calls is just an ability to like uh, to slow down, understand that my breath is what's going to guide everything more or less. Like if I can get a handle on my breath, I'm going to be more clear headed. I'm going to be more level headed and I'm going to be able to essentially talk in a more articulate fashion. So, and, and again, that's something that I don't have to like think about at this point anymore. I know it just happens. 
to where I know like as long as I can maintain my if I have a balanced breathing pattern, then I know I'm not going to show up to a call, even though, even though, you know, I'm the hype man and everything, right? Like, so I've got energy, but I can have energy without being agitating subconsciously. I believe at this point, knowing that it all starts with breath, which I've learned from yoga is what's able to influence, you know, the calls that I get on. I really like that, man. I've never heard it put that way. You can have energy without being agitating because I think there's a difference between being excited versus, hey, what's happening, man? And just, you know, putting the, putting the other person off because you're too much. But yeah. from that, is there an exercise that a rep, whoever listening to this right now can do five to 10 minutes before their next call to slow down, be more present and focus on their breath? Is there something you could give them? It's helpful, generally speaking, to have some type of like pre-call ritual. Maybe it's not every call, but you know, the calls that are, quote unquote, more important or like the big strategic accounts, right? Before you get on those calls, have some type of ritual beforehand. From a specific yoga sense, alternate nostril breathing, I think is very helpful. So you basically take your, you use your right hand, you take your thumb and either your pinky finger or your ring finger, both methods work. You cover your right nostril with your thumb. You breathe in through your left nostril. You cover your left nostril with either your ring or your pinky finger. You breathe out through your right nostril. You release the thumb. You breathe out through your right nostril. Then you breathe in through your right nostril. Cover your right nostril. Breathe out. So you just repeat that. You know, you can do that for five minutes, right? And you'll be your heart rate will slow down. All that stuff. That's one. That's one breathing exercise that can be done. But generally speaking, I think, like for example, you mentioned before that I, I'm a rapper as well. Like when I perform shows. I have a pre-show little ritual that I go through. And it's just, I don't know, it's five, 10 minutes. But in the five to 10 minutes before I know I'm going to go on, I detach myself from people. I find some corner of the room or I find a different room to go into. And I just like crouch down. I have, I literally, I have coconut water specifically, which is, I don't know why, this <laughs> is what I need. Coconut water. And I crouch down and I drink that. And I, I slow down my breathing. And I, I basically recite a mantra in my head, which is more or less, uh, I say to myself, like, I am here to bring expression to these people and create a sense of possibility as a result. Expression, possibility, expression, possibility. That's the creative zone that I get myself in. And I think anyone, you don't have to do alternate nostril breathing, but anyone can figure out what is their own pre-show ritual? If you, this is what I say, think like an entertainer, right? Don't think like an executive. Don't think like a seller. Don't think like an entrepreneur. Entertainers have their own pre-show ritual. So can you figure out what yours is? That, and even if it's a really busy day, can, you, can it be two minutes long? The other thing that I think is really valuable, especially if you're in like a rut, if you will, in your pipeline, is after the call, having a post-show ritual. But you take your notebook and you just set... I'd say maximum 10 minute timer can even be a five minute timer, but like literally close your computer screen. Like if it's a desktop, put it on sleep. If it's a laptop, literally close your laptop, set the timer and then put the phone out of arm's reach. So you don't, um, you know, so you don't want to look at it and just jot down in your notebook. What did I learn during that call? And what would I have done differently? It's just like a free, free thinking. What did I learn? What went well? What, what would I have done differently? How would I have answered that question differently? Did I like how I answered that question? Right. And even just that reflective five, 10 minute exercise 
will be so valuable for making your next call better. Or you'll realize, and, I, and I've had this happen to me before, oh my gosh, I really should answer that question differently. And then I'll end up sending a follow-up email saying, hey, you had asked me about this. And I'll be honest, I think I gave you a pretty crappy answer. I thought about it more and here's what I think. And so you can even help your own deal in the process. I love that, man. And the thing that you mentioned about the breathing, to take you back for a second, it's so funny. I learned that from an Ayurvedic doctor. I think my mum told me it years ago, but I was like, mum, I'm not listening to you. But <laughs> I, I learned it. Where, <laughs> I think we all, I think we all I, did that to our parents at one point. Where they were like, oh, yeah, yoga, breathing, meditation. You're like, no, you're crazy. And then you, you're like, oh, wait, no, they were right. <laughs> oh, isn't it so? Isn't it so, bro? But I, I was having these respiratory issues and it wasn't COVID and they, no doctor could find out what it was. And I went to Wim Hof breathing and the exact technique that you just taught the audience. And I feel amazing. I feel amazing because of it. So ladies and gents, really think about how you're preparing yourself effectively before these calls, because, hey, man, they could change the trajectory of them. So, dude, thank you for that. What I'd love to know from you now is, okay, let's say if you're a rep who has conducted a pre-call ritual and you're about to start the sales demo, what can somebody do to build trust effectively and start a demo in a very unique and memorable way? There's kind of two things here. I'm a big advocate of using a pitch deck within a demo call, but the pitch deck itself is meant to generate emotional buy-in and also set the table for the actual product demo. And if you do the pitch deck well, you don't need to spend that much time showing the product. You can do 10 minutes max of showing the product because conceptually and emotionally, they're going to already get it. So it provides the right uh, wrapping paper, if you will, over the demo. What you're supposed to do in that presentation in the pitch deck, and this is to be honest, like the method I talk about will scare some companies (laughs) because it's not just like, we're going to show slides that talk about our product. In fact, most of these slides will say nothing about our product. And I, this is where I like to push companies in the direction of like, no, no, you need to not just sell this product. You need to either create a category or redefine the existing category or ascend to the top of your category if you're not going to create a new one. So this is like category defining presentation that teaches them about their situation in a way they had not considered before. Essentially, what you're doing in this presentation is just that where you're able to make cases for market forces that are changing. And as a result of such market forces, here's what's going to have to happen. And you're not talking about your company or your product. You're just saying like, this is the lay of the land. And this is where things are going. Oh, we just so happen to have the perfect product that can accelerate in that direction. And it's going to be to your benefit. So whenever we build out these sales decks, like, again, it takes a little bit of, um, of like a reframe for the clients, but the first 70% of the presentation, we haven't even mentioned the product yet. And the last 30%, it's just that take home of like, so all those things we talked about up front about here's what's happening. Our product actually does the things that answer those questions. Now let's take a look at it. And then you go into your demo. And because again, they understand it, Right? They get out of that presentation and they're saying to themselves, and this, this I think is probably the best thing you can get someone to think is they're saying, huh, I never thought of it like that before. That's interesting. 
we got to keep talking to them because they know their stuff. They know our industry better than we know it. And we're doing it every day. This was right under our nose and how somehow we never saw this, right? When you can get that, like you've effectively taught them something then and you've gotten them to seemingly right in front of them that they never knew, their brain lights up with possibility. And then on the selling side, you're a advisor, you're a thought leader. You're not just an order taker. And ultimately then the purchase decision doesn't so much come down to, well, the other company had this integration feature and you don't. So we're going like, like they will look past those little deficiencies because they say, no, no, you get it. Like their product actually technically might, you know, be a little bit better, like might suit a little bit better, but you get it. And we trust that, you know, any product efficiency that's there, like it's going to be overcome by the fact that your team, your company is a rocket ship that we need to get on. (laughs) That's what the presentation can accomplish. And again, as a result, the actual demo itself only needs to take five to 10 minutes. And I can go into the actual demonstration, but I'll, I'll stop there in case there's anything you want to unpack in the, in the presentation side of it. Well, I think a lot of the, uh, the VPs of sales listening to this right now are freaking out. They're like, what? Five, five, 10 minutes? Nah, nah, that's, that's not how we've done it for 25 years. So <laughs> I love that, man. And what I'd really love for you to talk to just before you get into the actual demo is why do you focus on shifting perspectives? Like what is the intention behind shifting a perspective before you get into the demo? You're a commodity otherwise. And if you want to sell as a commodity, fine. There's plenty of commodities on the market, right? If you want to be a can of mushrooms or a can of peas or a can of corn, we should, we go to the grocery store. We just kind of look at what's at eye level and what's 79 cents instead of 89 cents. That's what we buy. If that's how you want to be shopped for, fine. Del Monte and Dole make plenty of money, right? You can do that and probably be successful. But if you really want to get out of this feature comparison with other companies, if you want to stop getting boxed in, and I think more than anything else, and this is what I genuinely believe, if you want to not be the best, but you want to be the only, then you've got to shift their perspective because best is a game of incremental differentiation. Hmm. That is a game of we're adding this feature next week, so you should buy from us. But someone else could add that feature, which makes us seemingly, you know, essentially a better pricing. You'll go go jump ship to them. But if you are the only, right, when you shift the perspective, now you put yourself in position of being the only. And companies that can be considered the only, what does it matter what the competition is doing? They're sure. Why are we even talking about them? They're not in the same conversation as us. Right. And then you're not pursuant to having to win deals on discounting every time. Or essentially, you get negotiated down on price with every deal or most of your deals. If you sell a product suite that can be purchased in, you know, oh, you could purchase just three parts of it or all five modules, whatever, right? You set yourself up for the entire module or more of the product suite or the entire product suite to be purchased. Because if you've been able to frame up these conditions in a story in that pitch deck the right way, that now it's, oh yeah, we'd be fools not to buy the whole thing or buy more of it, even though we were only considering this one thing when we came in. At a very tactical level, your conversion rates will go up. Your average contract value will also go up. And depending on industry, your deal cycle uh, can shorten as well. That's the boots on the ground results. Above that is the kind of like the CEO and the executive level is you shape the market in your image. And if the market is shaped in your image, 
the other companies have to start playing by your rules. And you don't necessarily care what they're doing. Why? Because you're not better than them. You're not the best out there. You're the only out, th out there. Even though the product itself may be similar enough. It's that you are the only one who thinks about it and does it this way. It's so funny and well, really interesting you say that, bro. It's like the way I think about it is imagine if somebody's been smoking for 40 years of their life. They know the facts of why smoking is bad for you. So you're, if you're delivering a presentation or a solution to ultimately get them to stop smoking, you've got to shift their perspective and challenge that limiting belief or whatever it could be. Otherwise, how are you really going to get them to take action? And one thing yeah. you speak about, which I really stand by, which is, too many demos and presentations, they lead with facts and figures versus emotion. And I think it's super powerful when you said that. I think it was in a LinkedIn post. I can't remember, dude, but I, I, I really resonated with that. Now, demos, these five to 10 minute demos. Now, I know one of the things that you've spoken about before is conducting a short demo and using a scenario analysis whereby you know what features and the transformation that this client cares about. So conducting a demo saying, hey, imagine if I'm Jim at your company, let's walk through a specific example. And I know you've got some golden nuggets here. So I'll be quite vague here, but tell me about maybe a few, maybe one to three things that people can do differently in their demos today. Yeah, I call it the reverse demo technique. We can call it RDT for shorthand. The idea behind the reverse demo technique is that you essentially do the exact opposite of what you've probably been doing. So the average demo and the standard demo is going out there and starting with, okay, so here's, our, here's your dashboard homepage. And from the dashboard, you can see your stats here in the top left. You can see, you know, here's your control panel over here, here, and you know, here's how you launch a campaign and here's how you do this thing. You've got this nice view from the back end, and then let's go ahead and launch a campaign. Let me show you how that's done. And then it's literally like a step-by-step -step process of how to do the thing. And that is so boring. <laughs> you know what no one ever said was like, oh my God, that, that back end was the sexiest thing I've ever seen in software. That <laughs> dashboard page, my God. God, I cannot believe I've seen charts and bar graphs ever framed like that before. <laughs> so the reverse demo is take the end result and work your way backwards from there. One example is a company I worked with uh, called Blueboard, and they operate in experiential employee incentives and rewards. So let's say it's your anniversary at a company. Let's say you just did something great for the company, You know, it had some achievement. Instead of like, here's a gift card or hey, here's a catalog, pick a blender. Uh, instead of stuff, it's hey, here's a catalog of experiences that you can pick. So if you want to do wine tasting or if you're a family, if you want to do something with your family, here's, here's a private tour of the zoo, right? Things like that. All the way up to you know, one of their bigger rewards is be James Bond for a day and you literally parachute out of a helicopter. <laughs> so Right, they've got all these different cool experiences from large, from small to large, depending on the company would want to give for a specific purpose to their employees. And their way of demoing it originally was showing the HR managers panel and being like, "Here's how you can track your rewards for your employees. Here's where you can look at feedback, etc." I came to them and I was like, "Listen, everyone, 
you have like inherently a very exciting product, but why is it not being shown as exciting? <laughs> so with that reverse demo technique, we totally flipped it and we said, you know, to, as you kind of let on before, like, all right, let's say I'm a salesperson at your company and I just reached my quota for the quarter. Oh my gosh. And then I get this email in my inbox that says, Ravi, you did such an awesome job the last three months. You're such a valuable part of this team. We want to make sure that you know just how special we believe you are. And I get that in my email and I just go here and it's like, oh my God, I have this entire page of things that I can go out and experience. I can go to the football game this weekend. Wow. Oh my gosh. I'm a huge Chelsea fan. Yeah. I want to go to the Chelsea game or maybe, you know, maybe if I'm not that type of person, maybe I'm more of like a, you know, odd experiences kind of person. Look, I can go to this escape room with friends this weekend. Oh my gosh. How do I choose? Okay. You know what? Chelsea game. Let's do that. Cause that's a really hard ticket to find on my own. Boom. I'm going to the Chelsea game. And guess what? I have an amazing time. And then the Monday I come back into the office after that, I'm writing a note to you being like, thank you so much. Like you have no idea how meaningful this was. I've been wanting to go to a game for literally years and tickets are always way too expensive. Thank you. I'm never going to forget this. That's the impact that your employee, you're going to have on your employees. And then HR manager on this demo, on the back end to set it up, it's super easy. Three clicks, you're done. Right. And that's how you explain the product. Ladies and gents, I hope you're listening to some of the intricacies that have just been mentioned about the way that Rajiv really used storytelling to allow you to walk or run a mile in the main character's shoes and get to the end result. But guess what? The main character is relatable because it's the same person that really you need to uh, be thinking about when you're trying to buy a solution to solve a problem. So, ah, I love it, man. That was super effective. Even the way you use certain words, I don't know about you, but I was transported to what it would feel like to go to the escape rooms and watch Chelsea play. So I love mm -hmm. it, dude. Storytelling at its finest used inside of a demo. Now, let's say somebody does that and it's all going well to an extent, right? You never really know. They've asked um, the question of, hey, let's book a follow-up call. They book a call in for seven days time, let's say, to get some more feedback and be in the room with the decision makers again. The demo's just been done. The meeting with the decision makers to have a recap, to have a review of their decision is booked in for next week. They've got seven days yeah. to ultimately wait until that call. So during that seven days, what can a sales rep do to be memorable and stand out before they hop on that call again? Oh, yeah, definitely. I think the one of the best things you can do is send a video in that time. So a video recap is really like do, a, do an email with like a couple bullet points that just give like the, hey, these were the main topics we talked about. Here's a video recapping it that you can send around, you know, internally. So everyone's brought up to speed. Do not send a recording of your call for them <laughs> to pass around internally. Or people will suggest, you know what? I'll send the recording of this afterwards. And then you send that recording and it doesn't get washed because who on earth? Like think about that person and they're going to send this around to their team, maybe. If I get that email, I'm, there's no chance in hell I'm going to watch a 45-minute recording of a meeting that I wasn't on. Do you know how hard it is to sometimes get me to watch a friggin' TV show that's an hour long because I know it's going to take an hour and not 30 minutes? You think I'm going to watch a recording of a meeting? 
that's almost an hour long. Sometimes it is an hour long or longer. Don't send your meeting recording around. Send a, I don't know, a two minute video recap of the main things you talked about. And then on top of that, is there any personal thing that was discussed during that call that you can be like, hey, you know, Ravi, you mentioned uh, that Chelsea just thought you might dig this article. And I don't know, it's just something about a player that they just acquired, something like that, right? Or actually the Chicago Cubs owner is planning to buy, is in a bid to buy Chelsea right now. Maybe I send you that article, right? Something that's just like, I I can connect with you at a more personal level beyond just like the product. Sure, you can send like the white paper. I just don't know if it really gets read. The more you can send content that's interesting. So, hey, an example could be like sending a podcast episode, but don't just send the podcast episode because again, that's an hour of time. Hey, thought you might like this. Just listen to this three minute segment from this podcast we just did. It's about the stuff we were talking about on our call. You either have that pre-made clip ready or you just say, hey, listen from four minutes to seven minutes. And then maybe they end up keep listening to the whole thing, which is even better. Right. So little bits of content that you can engage with them. If you're not connected with them on LinkedIn already, definitely connect with them. And then understand there are there are multiple ways you can hit them, if you will. You can send that as an email, but then you can also send a piece of content through a LinkedIn DM. You can send them a voice message to the DM. And that can even be like, Hey, I was just thinking this just came to mind for me. I thought this would be a cool execution that you could do, right? And it's just kind of like, hey, I just had this thought come up. I'm actively thinking about you. So don't forget about me because I'm actively thinking about you, right? Little things to just like build that uh, trust and credibility along the way and show that you care. So much intention, man, about the multi-channel approach. I really love what you said about the two-minute movie trailer of the two hour demo or, you know, presentation because, oh man, I have never, I don't think I've ever watched one of those recordings back again, ever. And very rarely is the recording actually timestamped. So really good points there, ladies and gents, really good points. I'm curious on your take on this. You know, you spoke about, you know, the example of today is a relatively sexy product. When you've got something which is so dull, I mean, like something with like, let's talk like a legals product, right? Like yeah, a regulation like software, right? Yeah. Uh, really right. Do you think your process is harder for that? Or, you know, do you think, you know what, you can still make it work? It can still work, but it's potentially even easier because you know, the nine other companies that have something similar are doing it the really boring way. True. So standing out is even easier. And again, it's, it may be boring technically, but the person you're talking to still has a certain desire and pain. Mm. So if you think of it through that lens, I mean, legal software might be boring to the average person. It's probably not boring to people in the legal industry. And they still want to have an issue solved and they still want to feel good about themselves in some way. So Mm. if you you can still do that same process, because ultimately you're making them look good, right? And that previous example I gave you, it was, what did I cap it with? I said something like, that's the impact you're going to be able to have on your employees, right? That was like kind of like the takeaway of, of the ultimate value of the thing. That's the impact you're going to have. They're going to be writing you saying, I'm never going to forget this. Think about just equity that builds in their mind. Think how much, like, how much more likely they are to stay at a company that values them in the way that you're showing them that you value them. And so I think that same concept can be implied you know, for legal software, right? So let's say it's a software that reduces 
back and forth on contracts, like redlining contracts, for example. I don't know. It probably exists. I don't know if it does, but that seems like a software that could exist. Right. And then it's like, think how much better that relationship is going to be with the other company that you've been going, you know, it's not going to feel like two bulldogs going back and forth. It's going to actually feel collaborative. And then your team is going to be able to be like, we love legal as opposed to legal is getting in the way of this deal. Mm-hmm. That's an amazing point. It may be boring to somebody who's not taking out their credit card and trying to solve this problem, but it's definitely not boring to your prospect. That's a really cool way to think about it, man. Dude, I love it. I feel like we could go for part two and part three, but we, we haven't got that long for today's <laughs> episode. But what I do want to know is when it comes to individuals in today's world who speak with influence and really communicate effectively, whether it's in the sales space, storytelling, whatever it might be, who do you look up to now? Who do you learn from? Who's tactically somebody that you really extract some golden nuggets from? There are a couple of sources, um, and he's become a friend now, but Devin Reed from Gong, uh, and he also has his own side, side business called The Reader. He writes about content creation, but even if you just look at how he writes, like he's writing stories in the process of talking about content creation. I would highly recommend following his work. And then aside from that, I'm a big fan of the category pirates. If you follow their content, which is all about how to think through life and business through a category lens, which is, I think, probably the most valuable kind of thinking that there is, which, you know, they espouse that belief as well. And then, you know, crazy enough, I look at other places to get inspiration, right? Like, you know, I I mentioned I still watch pro wrestling and I watch it as a fan, but I also watch it trying to analyze how they put stories together. That's what it is. You know, I literally had something the other day be like, they're like, you know, it's predetermined, right? And I'm like, yeah, of course I know that. That's what makes it interesting. I'm trying to figure out how they're getting to the end point. And I, and I'll tell you this, I always come back at people who are like, you know, it's scripted, right? And I go, you know, that TV show you watch is also Ross (laughs) and Rachel aren't actually dating in real life. But you just you you watch it for the entertainment value, and I, and I always tell people like, and you know what? We at least we have this as pro wrestling fans over anyone else. When we talk about wrestling, we say, "I can't believe the writers booked it that way." When you watch Friends, you say, "I can't believe Rachel turned down Ross." You don't say, "I can't believe the writers wrote Rachel turning down Ross." Oh, <laughs> uh, so we, like, we, so we know true. it and we accept it, but we it's like it's like we know the behind the scenes, we know what's in front of us, and we know how to you know do that dance. And anyways. <laughs> You no, know, I'll, I'll watch wrestling and look at like, I'll be like, okay, it's interesting that they, they made this person a bad guy at this point. And I wonder why they're doing that. And, oh, look at how when this wrestler does this thing, it's creating this kind of reaction. My inspiration actually for creating sales presentations came from watching the Hamilton musical. I literally, I looked at, hey, the way they tell that story, we can extrapolate almost an exact one-to-one. And that's, that's the format you should build your slides out of. You're a fascinating dude, bro. But I'll tell you what, <laughs> I will never I'll never forget the moment where I realized at that time it was called WWF that it wasn't real. I was around my uncle's house and I was watching this entire documentary at like nine years old on how they um actually all the moves are fake. I felt like I'd just been told that Santa wasn't real. Actually, it was worse, bro. It shattered my dreams, shattered me. But <laughs> it's so true what you said. We don't we don't ever say, oh my God. We say, I can't believe James Bond or Daniel Craig did this. We never say, I can't believe the writers 
looked at it from this perspective. So super, super true, dude. Where can individuals and teams go to learn more about you and your methodologies if they want to hire you or adopt them? Yeah, right on. So um, connect with me on LinkedIn. You know, I go by Raj Nation as shorthand, R-A-J Nation, all one word. If you type that in, I should show up. You can check out startuphypeman.com. We've got a lot of cool content there. Subscribe. We don't call it a newsletter. We call it our point of view letter, where we just write really, I would say, thought-provoking pieces of content uh, around how to pitch really anything. And then, you know, we didn't talk about it today, but I I do think something that would be valuable for your audience is just getting like a fundamental pitch down. And that's something that is like, I we use the K-Pasa elevator pitch formula. Um, and so to learn that, like how to, how to literally get across your elevator pitch in 60 seconds or less, um, you can use this thing called the K-Pasa formula. I've got a video I can share with your community. Go ahead and go to um, startuphypeman.com slash influential, right? For the name of this podcast, startuphypeman.com slash influential. And uh, we got a video for you there on how to, deliver the perfect elevator pitch. I love that. I think it's going to be super useful. That will definitely be for the next episode where we can really dig deep into your K-Pasa method and nail that 60 yes. second pitch, bro. But um, ladies and gents, if you want that worksheet, if you want that video, click the link in the show notes. I'll see you next week for another episode. Same time, same place. Peace. Oh, okay, okay, hold on. So you thought that this was the part of the show where I say something like, okay, ladies and gentlemen, if you did enjoy the show, then please drop us a review and do share it with a friend. Well, I'll tell you what, that's exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to be predictable here, okay? Do share it with a friend and do drop us a review if you got some value from today's episode, okay? So if you want to impact people, remember, you need to learn how to influence them first.